Hi everyone, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I am Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. And today we are continuing on that season of just um, adoption, adoptees, adoptive families. And I'm excited to do an arc again, although I feel a little bit like this is my first, <laughs> this is my first episode in this arc. You haven't been here and we've missed you, Samuel. I'm so thankful that we're all three together, though. I, I love when we're together again. We're the power trio. I love it. But yeah, we've missed you. I had that first episode. So where the arc began was um, the Unpack That episode where I talked about 20 things adoptive kids wish their adoptive parents knew. Longest title in history. And um, that was just a lot of my own reflections on adoption. And then Sarah and I were together for Off the Beaten Path with Robin Goebel. And we talked about um, interpersonal neurobiology, relational um, dynamics and how that plays out in our nervous system. And then we specifically had some discussion, particularly towards the end of how adoption really encompasses humans. Like this is so much of what's true for adoptees is really what we need to understand about the depths of being human. So I think that'll be fun for us to talk about with the three yeah, of us I'm today. Excited. And also uh, we're continuing the arc next week as well. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. So I have a story. Um, and, you know, we just had our three weeks or three weeks ago, three episodes ago. Sorry. We did celebrations. And the big I. Five -O. <laughs> and five oh. <laughs> 50 episodes. And your birthday. And I'm still beaten. I'm still here. Yes, you are. Uh, so as part of moving into my home. I hired movers for the first time in my adult life. And let me tell you, that was magic. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of it all, I had um, three guys over and they uh, you know, were packing up. And the one was telling me about his son and, you know, how this kid is so rambunctious and he's just getting into everything. And, you know, he wasn't saying it as if it was uh, annoying, but just, you know, observing his child's behavior. And then, um, so I, you know, said, oh, well, you know, the apples usually don't fall far from the tree. Like, I bet you were <laughs> pretty much the same as when you were a kid. Like, what did your parents say about you? And bless this guy's heart. He got so vulnerable with me in that moment and said, you know, I, you know, I didn't know my parents. I was in foster care and mm. I bounced around in foster care until, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know if he was 16 or if he was 18. Well, um, but he'd never been in a home for very long. And in that moment, I like, I hope my face, my, you know, I'm really bad with expressions, but I really hope my face was very neutral and I just blanked on what to do. And instead of thinking like, oh, you should talk to my friend, Julie, or Here, here's adoption <laughs> resources or not adoption resources, but you know, have you ever talked to anyone about mm. like what that impact was on your life? Mm -hmm. I just, I was so stunned with this vulnerability. Like he just shared this part of his life. And yeah, I was, I was just overwhelmed with it to be honest and, and the fact that I was moving and all of that but um you know I didn't do anything with it and I just let them you know I didn't do anything I just said oh well uh <laughs> here's your tip bye <laughs> like um I think I said you know seemed to be doing pretty well and I don't know what to say I don't sure. know what to say sure you were completely caught off guard that 
totally. All of a sudden, you're in someone's tender story. And I, I mean, like, man, to say that he was raised in the foster system is deep. It is a lot and to vulnerable. hear. It is a lot to hear. And you weren't expecting that kind of response. <laughs> and you're sitting there surrounded by boxes and trying to move in and thinking, what do I say now? Right. I, I was in the midst of saying goodbye to this person. And I felt so honored in that. I mean, truly, all the thoughts were happening at the same time. One, I'm so honored this man is sharing this story with me. Um, two, oh my gosh, how do I react to this? Mm-hmm. Three, don't say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, four, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> what I, I just did all of I, this at once. And what do I do with that? Um, and so anyway, so then they left, and you know, ten. 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, I'm thinking, oh, I could have said this. Oh, I could have responded this way. And I can't tell you what those are now. But I was going to ask, darn it. You can't tell us now because I was was so curious, like like, what came up for you? Like, because it is so hard in the moment. How do how do you respond? Like, I have a thought in my mind of something that I could say. And at the same time, if I were in that moment in your shoes, I don't know if it would have come to me. The things I would have said now mm-hmm. are, are, are maybe what I thought then, but what it comes to is, oh, that is such an interesting, or I mean, I shouldn't say interesting, but tell me more. Um, have mm-hmm. you, how do you feel about that? Do you like something supportive? And, mm-hmm. and I'm totally blanking here because I've got you next to me and I'm thinking like, don't <laughs> say the wrong thing. Um, but I really just want, like, I almost wanted to give this guy a hug and be mm-hmm. like, man, you are powering through this. Like you mm. are, you know, we, we talked about resilient. You are resilient. Like you are, you're got a job, like you're pushing through. I don't know. This could be horrible things to say. I don't know. But um, I really wish I could have said something supportive and loving and caring and a big verbal hug mm. kind of, um, and support for him. And in the midst child. of COVID and a pandemic and how do we even do this? Yeah. And, you know, how has that history affected your relationship with your son? And mm-hmm. what do you want for your son? Part- actively participating in his son's life. And I don't know his uh, relationship status or anything like that. But mm-hmm. there you have it. That is my story. And, and here we are two months later. And I still think about this mm. gentleman. And yeah. how, can I track this person down? And how can I find him, like, give him resources? Like, hey, like, you ever mm. need to unpack that if you ever want to mm. talk about mm-hmm. how what that experience was for you you know here's where you can turn mm-hmm. that's where i am with it. i feel like i want to tell him like i really appreciate that you're willing to tell me part of your story like that's what comes to mind for me is just like thank you for sharing part of your story with me. Mm. that's but- so powerful and easy yeah like acknowledging just the vulnerability of it yeah like, I really appreciate that you would share that with me. Um, for our listeners, I am right. <laughs> Tattooing it on your <laughs> face. You... <laughs> Just a <laughs> <laughs> reminder, sticky notes to bring with you along in case you're in the grocery line or something and all of a sudden you have opportunity to use it. But I think um, one thing that I've noticed with adoption is that it is very prevalent. Like, there are a lot of people that are adopted or part of foster systems and it could be any given day that you're um, running errands or having conversations or a coworker or a friend or someone who touches the um, part of the triad, we kind of call it, as far as um, 
the adoptee, the birth parent, the adoptive parent, and I don't know how we make that triad also say foster child, um, because then that wouldn't be three. <laughs> but just like that this does impact so many people, and there are folks who are both foster parents and adoptive parents and biological parents. Like we have so many different combinations, but all that to say that there are a lot of people that this does relate to. And so I think it helps um, to realize something about adoption instead of um, so many people being kind of uninformed about it. One of the things I was processing earlier with Samuel when we were kind of just brainstorming and having conversations like <laughs> we do all the time, um, <laughs> all the time. I just really have fun with that. But um, I was mentioning that adoption is not part of the education for being a therapist as a mental health professional. That is not class. What? It is not. Oh my and gosh. that is very sad because we need more adoption professionals. We need more people that can be a strong support. And it's not something that's covered. I mean, it might be like in a paragraph in one book or something like that. I'm sure like I could find the word somewhere if I looked for it. But in my training, it was something that I chose to focus on for all the different like projects you do. You have different assignments and you can pick your topic kind of thing. So I focused on adoption and attachment. Those were mm -hmm. my like passions. And so it has helped educate me. And I've sought out listening to the adoptees specifically so that I could really understand more of lived experience um, from hearing stories and listening to hearts and caring for people but I had to like seek that out and there was one other place Samuel do you remember that conversation we had because we talked about like mental health professionals are not trained but somebody Teachers. else we said wasn't trained oh yes it was educators educators are not like so sometimes when I'm working with um, adoptive parents I'll tell them one of the best things you can do for your kids is help educate and advocate with your child's teacher because they have no idea what it's like to sit in the classroom with those in their classroom that are foster kids or adoptive children so or youth or adolescents but it's like that's not part of and I happen to have I happen to have the background of being a teacher also that was my first career so I know that that's not now granted I'm a little older, so <laughs> that was a long while. time ago. <laughs> it's been a while since I got that bachelor's degree. But at the time, I know that wasn't really covered. I mean, it might be, again, like a paragraph in a book or something, but it's not like really understood. And it's certainly not understood in the context of like complex developmental trauma. Like trauma is not a topic really in grad school either, which is shocking. Like how could it not be for how much we're learning about neuroscience and the brain and how to heal? And wait, did you say they don't teach about trauma? They don't. Okay, I'm sorry. Is Can that it's horrible? That's it's bizarre shocking. because you're a therapist, right? And that okay. I know it doesn't wait, seem like that would degree? make any sense in your own degree. Oh yes. my goodness! So this PMLity stuff is just like all of that is like tough. anything that I have for training which is TBRI, trust-based relational intervention, or Pia Melody's model, or EMDR, 
all of that covers trauma and very extensively how to heal trauma specifically. But in the actual curriculum for grad school, trauma is not really discussed at all and not really acknowledged at all. And so all the different reading and trainings and workshops and things that I've done has come out of other places, not that curriculum. And I remember, so I graduated in 2016. So maybe they're doing something more. I don't know if they are. Um, I do know, you know, the Ohio board that oversees um, adoptive and foster care is using a trauma-informed system, which is progress. You know, uh, I wanted to go back to that conversation that we were talking about earlier, oh, that I was having on the phone with mom, which is just like this concept of trauma-informed relationship management. Is that the (laughs) combination of words that should be used? But basically just kind of, you know, Treating most interactions as trauma-informed and maybe understanding, you know, that humans have been impacted in a lot of ways that um, Mm -hmm. have left us, you know, wanting something or uh, still needing to develop in some areas and in other ways not, you know, but it's kind of like, um, I still think a safer way to go about things and a nicer way to go about things instead of just assuming like, oh, you've got it, like instead, uh, following up with you or you know there's there's all sorts of things i think built into just a trauma-informed based relationship one of the things that i like how you're like conceptualizing that samuel because you're talking about this being trauma-informed as humans because we all interact with people and everyone has had difficult experiences so part of that being trauma-informed as a human is understanding that things that we've talked about with trauma before being like everyone has their own unique experience. And so you don't compare traumas, what you've been through to what someone else has been through, allow them to express and talk about and verbalize what they need to that was part of their story. And so much of what allows a person to do that, to share that is what we call felt safety, which we've mentioned before in an episode as well. The idea of having safe relationships of where I can be seen and heard and understood and cared for and validated and welcomed and wanted, all of those dynamics are attachment dynamics and and require that we have a safe environment for that. Meaning that I don't have to um, fear invalidation or being Mm. dismissed or being cut off or inconsistency or and and when there are ruptures when there are things that don't go the way that you want them to whether it's conversations or interactions or something that's unresolved that we always focus on repair 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 that we can talk about hard things and we can work through hard things and we're in this together you're not alone Those are all so foundational and so important to help bring healing. Well, and Robin uh, was saying in our last episode, safe attachments help us become ourselves and understand or develop our sense of self. And she also said um, the brain develops inside inside those safe attachments um, so that repair, repair, repair 
that that safe attachment you you're repairing the whatever if you have those ruptures but you're also developing your yourself you're essentially recovering from trauma are you you know that's kind of my takeaway from it's you. almost yeah it's almost like you're being able to hold space with someone that it's safe for you to feel what you feel and be who you are and be with me here now instead of feeling completely triggered where we kind of flip our lid we've talked about um where we're taken to a different place emotionally like we're in fear or terror of something that happened before it's it's helping someone feel kind of co-regulated with and safe enough that they can be more present here now. And they don't feel a sense of like fight or flight. They don't feel like complete, completely shutting down or that they have to go away, but they can be heard and seen and wanted and welcomed. All those things that I mentioned before. But basically what I'm referring to there is the nervous system because the nervous system is reacting in ways that our brain wants to keep us safe. Our central nervous system is designed for safety and survival. And so it will go into kind of autopilot on if I need to be safe and I'm not right now, I'm either going to freeze, um, fight or flight. And so it's good to be able to have safe relationships that are, allow me to to know that I'm okay here now and that I can show up as my authentic self and be who I am and that that's okay and that that's wanted. Like that allows that brain development that you were talking about, Sarah. That's what allows us to develop and grow is because we feel mirrored and understood and as someone mirrors back to us what they see in us, our authentic self, then we start to understand who we are because there's someone there to show it to us and to walk with us so we're not alone and we're not in complete overwhelm. Yeah, I'm going to uh, transition this into one of my favorite parts that is only one part of this story, as we've talked about before, but the optimist in me loves the just like strength-based narrative that comes up once you have safe relationships and once you have, you know, what I feel sometimes is even though I'm uncomfortable sometimes or I know where my traumas are or just like where my triggers are, just, you know, I don't do very well whenever sound is just like there's just a lot. And so just understanding that and being able to brace for that or just saying like in some politically charged conversations I also like find hard and so going into those conversations and still walking away like hey I did it and I think like you know the trauma stuff is deep and I think it keeps it speaks to a core of you know humanity and you know kind of explains some of the behaviors humans have and kind of the reactions stuff that we have to each other um, but it's also something you know that we're growing from and I feel even doing this podcast has increased my own, you know, consciousness and uh, you know, emotional stability. And you know what? This is a shame too, you know, beyond therapists. It is ridiculous that therapists are not taught more about trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad that teachers aren't. Um, but really, like, mm-hmm. our goal should be all humans understanding trauma and how that... And just we've talked about with past guests as well... Um, there's a whole history of trauma and there's generational trauma. And, you know, mm-hmm. 
humans in general, we have to work to help each other. Systemic things that are causing trauma, like the whole system is so broken. I do want to clarify before I have any teachers who are thinking, wait, what are you saying about us? I do think that there are good schools who in their um, continuing education or in their workshops or days of training, whenever they have speakers come in or things like that, I, I do think that there are schools that are working to give teachers a better support in understanding trauma. That is happening. I am hearing of that. What I was referring to is the curriculum in the degree itself. I haven't seen that. Like, and, and so often, and you can't really assume, I mean, as we're talking specifically about adoption, you really can't assume that the teacher connects and understands that even if they have been trauma-informed by workshops or books that they've read or trainings that they've attended, they don't automatically understand that adoption has at its foundation and core loss. And loss and grief are things that are very traumatizing that need to be validated and acknowledged and worked through. It's not to say that you can't heal and recover and be resilient and have incredible strengths, because I do think that people who have been through complex developmental trauma on any level, on any kind of neglect or abuse or anything, um, I think all of that can serve you really well to have actually strengths that other people don't have because they haven't gone through the hard things that you maybe have gone through. And so it can be amazing. Like these are the strongest people ever. They're the superheroes, the magic superpowers that they have are amazing. However, it also takes support to be able to get there. Like we're not made in a vacuum where we can just heal or feel understood or work through to resolve things if we're trying to do it by ourselves or what people tend to do a lot of is kind of stuff it or avoid it or medicate it or deny it or tough push it, it off. Or some people just get tough it out, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, you're fine. Get over it. Throw some dirt, rub in, some dirt in it or whatever. But, you know, I've got in my caseload over the years of doing therapy, not even just currently, but years prior to now as well where I've had people in their 30s, 40s, 50s working on adoption trauma because they're just now starting to realize it or some that have been working for more than a decade on it. And I really encourage people like that's a good thing to to keep pursuing growth and healing and learning and untangling and resolving. Like that's a good thing. I want to be a strong support for people willing to do that. It doesn't mean it's a negative. It's not a bad thing that they're that they're doing that work that's an awesome thing that they're getting strong support so you're saying it shouldn't be a downer you know if you hear of someone who's been in therapy for 10 years plus you know that's great they are continuing to put effort to work on their own healing story and i know it can be a little daunting sometimes to hear, you know, oh sarah's been in therapy for i don't know how many years now and she, like it must not work <laughs> yeah, I think that's so important to say because, you know, when someone is in counseling for years, and I'll include myself in that, before I ever came to this career, I did a lot of hard work as the client and I continue to heal and learn about myself and keep processing and have people who are strong supports to me in the midst of that and mentors and people that have had a huge influence in my life. Like, just because you're taking 
years to do that, to me, you're not the same person as when you started. You are not just like not thriving or accomplishing anything, although it's not really about accomplishing so much as it is becoming um, and developing and like all those layers. Understanding. What did you say, Samuel? Mm -hmm. I think too, like I had 31 years before I started therapy Mm -hmm. of compounding traumas uh, at at all age uh, levels, at all states, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. infant, elementary, whatever, you know, kindergartners, whatever, all through my life. And so I, shoot, I'm going to give myself at least 31 years mm-hmm. of therapy to say like, I, you know, and it's still continuing. Like we experience things every day that, mm-hmm. you know, compounded or trigger us. And, and it's just, it's, I, I see it as more data. Um, you know, oh, that triggered me. I need to work on, you know, I, I need to address that. I, mm-hmm. I, want to, I love that. I'm curious as to like, why did that happen? Mm-hmm. And, and we're still undergoing like traumatic things. Like, like living in a pandemic, living, like in a pandemic. having all the political climate that we have, all the racism, we have all the systemic things that are so hard and so painful. It's hard to be human. So, and to expect us for, you know, for kids who have experienced trauma at such a young age or, or foster children who have never been adopted, never been in a solid home to expect, um, my heart goes out and says, I just want to cry and, and hold them and hug them and say, you are undergoing, like what you are facing is, is so hard, so difficult. And yet you're expected to act like a, nor- like a healthy, safely attached adult. And why, and, and people are surprised when you say that adopters have trauma. Mm. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just going off on a tangent here, but it's surprising when I say myself, I grew up in a safe household, yet I am still in therapy. I, you know, not everything was safe, um, but it certainly wasn't a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't separated from my mother at a young age. I don't have questions about, you know, why was I, why was I given up? And why do I have a gotcha? And that sort of thing. It amazes me that kind of going back to this whole trauma thing of not being taught in your grad school. Like how do we expect to reach people who are experiencing that great depth of need without that trauma? And that it's okay that it takes time. It's okay that some things are confusing and tangled. Mm. It's hard to go through that. That hurts to go through that. And it's also okay, especially when you find uh, your support people, whether it's, um, I gave a shout out a couple episodes on the unpack that to encompassadoptees.org. Um, that's a place that you can find support from other adoptees. Um, hearing the adoptee voice in, um, different books and webinars and things to know that you're not alone, to know that we can learn from each other and have support. I think what I would want to raise awareness for our listeners, if there's anyone maybe who hasn't realized um, that adoption is something that is, is really sacred. I mean, it's something that's very important that we pay attention to how people are experiencing it because it can be hard and it can be significant pain or loss and it can feel raw. And as we've mentioned as well, 
that we really need that sensitivity towards all humans, that we need to understand that everybody has a story and everybody can be going through and carrying really heavy, hard things. And so how do we live as healthy humans that are caring and understanding and doing our best to be safe people that can hold space for folks and give them strong support? Right. <clears throat> Sometimes I just wanted to say, oh, I'm going to mark that. I was just going to say, you know, um, oh, whenever you're working with people and just talking and discussing with people, I think sometimes what I at least tend to do is maybe to dimensionalize people or kind of like um, in order to just like boost my argument or whatever, just be like, oh, they're just a jock who's a jerk, you know, like they're just a jerk. <laughs> uh, and um, even though that they really are, you know, years of experience and like live memories and uh, successes and traumas and all that and having that mindset going into that conversation is way more helpful than having like a mindset that just kind of ignores that or doesn't acknowledge that i was just gonna say too if you're seeking therapy please don't think that you're being ungrateful for whatever you uh, how you were raised that you are spitting in the face of your parents or your adopted parents or people who helped you along the way so sometimes it can seem like that uh, i think about my own story and you know i wonder too like i want to make sure that even though i had a healthy family i am still allowed to have experienced trauma mm -hmm. and it's not being ungrateful so if you're an adult and you're thinking well you know my my life was fine i, I really don't have anything to go to, to therapy for or and I, i'm an adoptee and well this doesn't reach me. You know, I had great parents and I had a loving family. You're not being ungrateful if you go to therapy and take that step because it is trauma, whether or not you've addressed it or thought about it. And I think it's fair too, as part of that, that you're saying, Sarah, that it's important for parents, whether they're adoptive parents, foster parents, or biological parents to support the kids that are going through that work to not take it personally, to not feel offended or like you've done something horrible or wrong or bad. I think that probably I like what Brene Brown talks about is people are doing the best they can and they don't necessarily um, do things better because they don't know how to do things better or because they've been influenced by things. We all have things that have challenged us or limited us or taught us patterns that might not have been the most helpful. Like we all have these things, but this is part of being human. And so if we can acknowledge that, that, you know, I am wanting to do the best I can as a mom and my kids probably have a whole host of things they can work through with their therapist because of things that, that they've gone through, that I might be a part of that. And that is awful to consider as a parent. However, I think what is more important is that we acknowledge the reality that people have pain and, and need to be able to talk about their experiences and their stories. And that doesn't mean um, that I need to be offended by that or taken back by that. Like I would so much rather have someone be able to feel heard and understood and, and resolve things and, and be able to work through that. 
Like what a gift, like so that you can be fully alive and you can be present and um, having healthier relationships, like live your best life. Don't be held back by um, feeling afraid of what someone else would think if you're in counseling or if you're doing um, your own work through recovery groups or books that you're reading or journaling or things that you're doing to take care of yourself, like live your best life so that you can heal and grow and develop and catch up where things had some holes from the past. Yeah. I feel like most of our episodes could have a little smash the stigma hashtag. On mm-hmm, each one for sure. Ooh, I like, um, by respecting the life in you, you're respecting the life of others around you. Mm. Um, so you're letting them live their own lives mm-hmm. um, be, and you're living your own life you're living your best life and you're allowing others to live their best lives. And mm-hmm. that kind of deviates a little bit into entanglement. And, um, oh, what did we talk about with, um, enmeshment, enmeshment. codependency. Yes. Codependency. Mm-hmm. It's all related people. It is all related and how important it is to have authenticity to like be your true self, show up with your own sense of this is who I am. And I want to find people that I can, talk to and be open with and care for each other, have mutual relationships that are supportive. And we could spread that like a massive mental health pandemic of like, let's teach people how to be, look at Samuel's expression. I wish you all could see the video version of this. He's like shaking his head. Here's the thing is I think (laughs) that pandemic pandemic jokes are out of the question for the next couple of years at least. Oh, I'm just so surrounded by it. You can you can edit it out. No, if you no, want. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think what a great thing to have people um, learning and exposed to, and and having that be like that. I think that is it goes back to that systemic change that mm. we've been talking about. So you're just asking for systemic change. Let's do that. Let's do that on all. All sides, all scopes. Let's Perfect. do that. Yeah, maybe um, instead of gratitude or affirmation, now we'll just do call to action. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Everyone that's go kind of like, systemically change. <laughs> that's right. But you know what? Well. That kind of reminds me. We could expand some of the closing things because on my blog, jhrcounseling.com, at the end of my blog, I have for your reflection, which is a journal prompt. And I have action steps. So we could, we could like bring some variety to the end of our shows and it could be gratitude. It could be affirmation. It could be a journal prompt. It could be an action step that will keep people guessing because maybe we've had people that just kind of go, Oh, here they go sharing what they're thankful for. I I like, I don't know. um, Everybody kind of meditates with it as we do. And they go, Oh, I also like my dog. <laughs> it's like a community feel. That's why we love the name Community Roots. We're in this together in our diversity and complexity. So, Samuel, are you going to do a call to action? Can I still do a gratitude? <laughs> I don't know if I'm. Can we all pick whatever we're? Call to action. I'm tired. I'm like, the call to action is go to bed. <laughs> get some rest. Get yeah. some sleep. Yeah, take care of yourself. It's an important call. It all comes back mm-hmm. to sleep. <laughs> it so often does that's another hashtag for so many episodes is take good care of yourself you're worth it especially now in these uh Mm -hmm. 
you know, last couple of weeks, I've just been so grateful of this whole year and everything that's happened, you know, not in terms of the pandemic, obviously, but just being able to kind of corral with my loved ones and the people I hang out with and kind of um, be with each other during this time. And also just like working really hard throughout this pandemic as well. Like, I just feel grateful at the end of the year. And honestly, my thoughts are already turning towards, you know, like New Year's and stuff. Uh, New Year's resolutions, you know, year-end gratitudes and stuff like that. So that's my gratitude this week, mm. you know, is just in general. Just It's been a tough year. And it's December. We uh, somehow mm-hmm. survived 2020. And mm. here we go. Bring on 2021. Mm-hmm. Great. Serve as leaders um, and serve as people who can um, uh, show me my my value and my worth um, in a positive way and give life to me. Very thankful for that. Thank you. Mm. Love that. Love that. Love my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful uh, for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for laughter and for community and being together. Um, But I felt like, you know, it just popped in my head to share as a gratitude, but also as like a relational piece. Um, Our family had to put down our dog for um, right in between when Thanksgiving was coming, um, the day before that, November 22nd. And in that, I am so thankful for who he's been in our family of just this little bundle of joy and energy and also his curmudgeon um, underbite. And he's got such a personality, but he just captured our hearts and it was so beautiful. Like we were all together to kind of, I just, I don't even want to say, say goodbye, but to just love him and to love him well and to, um, celebrate his life and and what he means to us and it was a very powerful time to me just of being surrounded by family and we were all going through the kleenex and sobbing our hearts out because it really hurt and it still does um but there's beauty in that and i even mentioned to the doctor who came they came to our house and i said boy you've got a hard job and she said i'm always surrounded by love mm. like she said i see how much love are in these families that i come to and I just thought man what a powerful reframe that was <laughs> and I was just like that is beautiful that like to be surrounded by love <laughs> even <laughs> there you go that she's doing some great work in this world and I just I loved that seeing it that way surrounded by love and her final words over him was that he's at peace and man doesn't that all like have a great message for all of us that even when we're in hard times even when there's pain that we could be surrounded by love and we could find a place of peace and care and support for each other. Like that's kind of just got a good message at the end of 2022. Yeah. yeah and it's pretty cool. 2020 yeah. also, as opposed to yeah. 2022, that sounds like a whole nother couple years away. <laughs> that just means we can re-air this episode in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will think, wait, did she just say 2022? Wow. We just, I must have slept a long time or hibernated for a couple winters or something. Um, I do think it is no, cool I meant, that I all three also. of us were around each other before we adopted Berkeley. We were all there in that moment. 
We should share that story with our listeners. I know we're closing up, but Sarah is the one that brought Berkeley to our family. And it was the cutest thing ever because she brought him. And that was, okay, so he will be... 2008. Would, it would yeah, it was 2008 because he would have been 13 had he made it to his birthday. And she just brought him over, I still remember, in her little bag. And he was so tiny because he was a peekapoo, Pekingese poodle. And so tiny. And she just carried him in, his ba- in her bag and pulled him out of the bag. And I remember the kids were all so little. Like, I don't even know if we do the math on all of that. It is like the Lily and Berkeley era. And then for or for Sarah to be the one that brought him to our family and to have this like memory now together. That's a cool thing. Just a milestone for us to kind of just verbalize together. I just feel so much gratitude for that. And now the whole world shares in our little hair moment there. You know what we should put on the um, Facebook page is a picture of sure. Berkeley. Let's and we can it. just kind of remember yeah. together and say, hey, these these moments matter. Yeah. Your life matters and your families matter. Your pets matter. Like these are. It matters to these you. These are sacred times. Because you matter. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good That's word. That's a good t-shirt. TM. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, everyone. Well, uh, we are going to wrap it up today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Mom and Sarah, as well. Um, it's been a great ride. And we will see you in a couple weeks when we have an off-the-beaten-path guest. And we're going to kind of continue on this uh, adoption arc and adoptive arc. So if you have any friends or family who that is relevant to or um, has dealt with trauma in any way, which spoilers have <laughs> feel free to uh, <laughs> spoiler alert share spoiler. you know share a podcast let uh, uh let your friends and family know that we're around especially as we get into this holiday season you know go and search for our old holiday help um editions where we kind of dive in how to go through our holidays but anyway thanks again for joining us everyone and we will see you soon bye everybody bye